0: Welcome to Wavelengths, a podcast with Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband podcast. I'm your host Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we explore major trends, technologies and the people that are creating pathways for the future of the telecom industry. Now, as we explore today's topic and uh, get a little bit more in depth on funding for the future of broadband, which we'll expand on here in a second, I want to make sure that you've got all of the Amphenol content you need to feel up to date, feel like you have all the resources you need to understand the topic, uh, and also just to tap into what we're creating in our solutions. So make sure you're heading to our website at amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com, and you can find articles, videos, case studies, blogs, and podcast episodes, of course, on our website. You can also subscribe to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new episodes. So let's go ahead and dive in, team. On today's episode of the show, we're very excited to be bringing our audience a go-to guide for all things broadband deployment funding. Very important topic, and as obviously our audience will know and understand, the broader telecom industry has been in the process of bridging the nation's digital divide for years now. It's definitely not a new initiative to expand broadband access and deployment across the states. But what is relatively new is all of the recent funding from federal and state governments that's become available uh, and bountifully available, if we're being honest, over the last year or two. So as the industry prepares for the Biden administration's 10-year plan for deploying broadband across rural and underserved communities in the states, and that's just one of the many initiatives propelling broadband deployment forward, we wanted to compile a list of funding options and break down the specifics of each funding initiative so that you know all of the resources available for you to lay some new cable. So, luckily, one of the industry's best sources of information and thought leadership has compiled that list of broadband funding options for us already. So we're in a good place to start. And we're gonna be digging into that article with the article's author. So I'm pleased to welcome for insights today Diana Guverts. She is senior editor for Fierce Wireless and Fierce Telecom, which is an independent publication covering important dynamics within the telecom industry, including fiber deployments, virtualization of telecom and cable networks partnerships, edge computing, business deals, competition, you name it. Diana, thanks for your time today. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. It's a real pleasure getting to source your perspective today, and uh, we appreciate you taking some time to break down this article. It's very in-depth, and you've been updating it for a while now, which we'll get into. Uh, But what I want to do first is just give a little Uh, context for our audience and the perspective you're bringing and kind of paint a larger picture of why we should be having this conversation in the first place. So uh, give us a little update on your background. How long have you been following uh, the recent funding initiatives for the industry? Uh, Intersect that with kind of your your movement through the industry. And then if there's been any major changes over the last two years, which it sounds like there has, go ahead and give us an update there as well.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been Following this, probably since I joined Fierce, I joined at the the beginning of 2021. So uh, my background is in wireless. Uh, I kind of delved more into the wireline space when I joined Fierce, I'm primarily on the Fierce Telecom beat, which is something new and exciting for me. And as we kind of moved through the year, what we saw was that you know with the COVID pandemic, there was a lot more funding kind of flooding into the space, and we saw and we heard from uh, some of our sources that you know it was getting really hard to navigate. Uh, as we'll get into, there are a ton of different funding sources now, and there's they're just money flying around everywhere. And so we kind of started compiling over the summer this guide, and eventually we kind of got around to publishing it in September. I would say probably some of the biggest changes that have happened... Are actually happening not only on the federal level with the passage of a lot of these acts that we're going to be talking about, but also the states. So I've been talking to um, some really great sources over at Pew Charitable Trusts. They have been tracking a lot of the policy changes on the state level. Uh, they are an invaluable resource. Um, and so definitely check out their stuff. They have a broadband um, access initiative that they they do research in. But a lot more states over the past couple of years have kind of been forming these broadband offices, uh, these broadband agencies, these task force forces. Um, and so they're kind of starting to to really realize and put the you know bureaucratic infrastructure in place to distribute all of this funding that's coming in. And so not everybody is on board, but a lot of folks are moving in the right direction. And that's one of the bigger changes that, has been happening over
0: the past couple of years. And it's exciting that all of these resources are even available in the first place now. And I guess to some degree, it can be seen as somewhat of a silver lining coming out of COVID because a lot of this funding is in response to the pandemic and the increased need for digital connectivity uh, across the states as we come out of the pandemic and then try to discern, are we going to continue with hybridized work? How much are virtual events going to play a role in the future of marketing? And even bigger picture, how will broadband play a role in smartifying our cities, right? That's not a word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so uh, as we explore these funding options, what would you say is the bigger picture in securing this funding, right? Should broadband players be using the uh, the RDOF, which we'll get into here in a little bit, as kind of a guidepost, again, that 10-year broadband deployment initiative, or are there other major motivators that you think folks should be centering as they make their decisions?
1: So my personal opinion uh, is that Ardoff has kind of, it's not negligible, but it's kind of faded into the background in terms of where the focus is, right? So the off auction, I believe, ended in December 2020. And that was the phase one auction. There's a phase two to come, but the dates for that haven't been announced. So the big focus right now for people who haven't already won money in Ardoff they're looking toward all of the uh, money that's flowing from these acts. And the big takeaway there is that it's going to be coming through the states, right? So this is federal money, but it's going to actually be given to the states and the states are then going to distribute it themselves through different grant programs. So where people should be looking is to the states, to these state broadband offices, to these grant programs, which some of them maybe have yet to be formed. So. It's a lot to keep track of not just in terms of you know these different acts because there are several of them right but also because people are having to look at all of the 50 states to see what each state is doing how much money each state is allocating
0: right and that multi-layered approach is I think what is creating confusion but Hopefully, after today's conversation and after reviewing the article, which we're using as the basis of our conversation, our audience can get a better sense for how to maneuver all those resources. So, let's go ahead and jump in. Again, your article is titled, Finding the Money, a U.S. Broadband Funding Guide. For our audience, you can find that at fiercetelecom.com. And we'll, of course, link it in the episode description and write-up for this piece. Uh, It's also been constantly updated here since... I mean, I guess it's been a while now since it's been updated, uh, or I mean, it's been a while since you have been updating it. Actually, the most recent update was the 26th of January. So you are staying on top of this. You are providing the most up-to-date information. Uh, so I wanna make sure our audience is following along there as Diana keeps you on top of any changes to your funding options. But what I wanna do is break down each initiative and cover some of these core areas. First, I wanna understand how much money is available and for how long it's available, because a lot of these do have a schedule or uh, an end period in mind. Uh, We also wanna help understand what the metrics are per company or project for securing this funding. Is there anything that folks should be keeping in mind as they apply? Uh, And then we'll intersect some big-picture stuff, how you think broadband deployers should weigh this specific fund as part of their larger funding strategy because there are so many options, and then, naturally, where and how they can apply for this money. So, Diana, are you ready to jump in? Because there is quite a lot to get into. I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) try. Let's do it. I love it. All right, so first up, we have the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, Give us the big picture there. I know there are some more specific buckets of funding, but what is important to understand about that act and how is it playing a role in the larger funding ecosystem for broadband today?
1: Sure. To a lot of lay people, uh, it might be better known as the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That's how everybody mm. kind of in the news was referring to it at the time. It passed in November of 2021. So at the end of last year, and the big headline from that is that it kind of includes a total of $65 billion for broadband improvements. Uh, as you mentioned, it kind of falls into a bunch of different buckets. I don't know if you want me to go into each one of them. Uh, I'm happy to do so if you'd like.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we can start with the BEAD program. That's the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. I think this is somewhere on the, I don't know, to the tune of $42 billion available. Go ahead and give us the deets there.
1: Yeah, sure. So of the $65 billion that is coming through this Infrastructure and uh, Investment and Jobs Act, the majority of it is coming through BEAD. And as you mentioned, that's $42.45 billion and it's focused on grants that are going to connect underserved areas um it's being administered administered there we go <laughs> through <laughs> the uh, NTIA uh, so they have 180 days from the time this passed back in november to develop funding guidelines they are in the process of doing that now Uh, They, I believe it was earlier this month, put out a call for public comments on, you know, what people think the requirements should be, how they think um, things should kind of be administered. So people are weighing in on that now, um, and hopefully we'll have those guidelines solidified later. Each of the 50 states will receive uh, an initial allocation of $100 million from that $42.45 billion, and additional funding is going to be given to each of them based on covered coverage maps that the FCC is still working on. I, I'm not sure what the timeline is for that. Uh, the latest I heard from FCC is, you know, we're, we're working on it, um, but I don't have a solid timeline. And in order to receive the funding, all of the states have to submit action plans. And again, the, the takeaway here is that this money is going to be coming through state grants. So if you want to get money from the BEAD program, you need to figure out What state grant it's going to be coming from, and just in terms of um, technical requirements, grant recipients have to deliver services offering speeds of at least 100 megabits per second downstream and 20 megabits per second upstream.
0: Interesting. So then, first, the state has to apply for more of this money besides the uh, 100 million, right? Yeah, 100 million initially from that 42.45 billion dollar pot. Are there any other technical metrics beyond just the the up and downstream requirements or uh, do you imagine that folks are going to have to try to differentiate themselves amongst applicants or is it just as long as you hit that metric you're guaranteed money?
1: I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of uh, other technical metrics. Uh, I would refer everyone to kind of look at the funding guidelines that NTIA comes up with once they're out. You know, we can kind of get a hint of where that might be going based on uh, some of the other guidelines the NTIA released for other broadband funding programs that we're going to talk about. Sure. But yeah, they have to, one of the other things is they have to provide at least one low cost service plan for subscribers, right? So the idea is there's no point in building this out if people can't afford to use it. Right. So that's one of the other things. And then awardees have to finish providing broadband service within four years of the date that they receive the grant funding. So there are stipulations, but um, I think we'll know more once the NTIA comes out with its funding guidelines.
0: So another part of this bipartisan infrastructure bill is the Affordable Connectivity Program. So this is actually changing the name of an already existing program, the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, which our audience may be aware of, uh, and basically expands the funding by $14.2 billion. So how does this play into... um, again, the ecosystem of funding. Is there anything of note here for uh, the Affordable Connectivity Program?
1: So the Affordable Connectivity Program is more of a subsidy program for consumers. Um, gotcha. A lot of broadband service providers are participating in it. And so what it does is it provides a subsidy uh, to the tune of $30 per month for most consumers. I think it's higher for tribal lands. I think it's 75 But it provides a subsidy to help reduce the cost of broadband. So again, it goes back to the idea of, you know, we need to make sure not only that broadband is accessible to everyone, but also that people can afford to use it. And as you mentioned, it it, it replaces the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, which was passed as part of the American Rescue Plan Act, which we'll get to. And it expands the funding that is available under that. So uh, again, another good thing in terms of access, but it's not necessarily... Um, meant for deployment funding.
0: Now, is that an attractive program for um, broadband deployers today, uh, even if it is more consumer-facing? Or are they finding that creating affordability is going to be sort of a joint plan, right, with different sources of funding?
1: I don't know if I can speak to the attractiveness, um, but I can say that there are, you know, a thousand broadband providers, you know, a thousand plus participating in this. And I think that kind of speaks to, you know, the level of interest in the broadband community in this program. Um, I can also say that from listening to investor calls, um, you know, earnings reports, what I'm hearing a lot from the broadband providers is it's not necessarily bringing in new broadband subscribers, but Uh, It is helping keep some of their existing broadband subscribers who may have been struggling during the pandemic connected. So in that sense, it's kind of a a benefit for churn, but we'll see how uh, things play out as the Affordable Connectivity Program kind of gets its legs under it. Um, We just got final rules for the program earlier this month. Uh, I think it launched right at the end of either last year or the start of this year. So it's still very new. It, It is, again, a change from the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, which had a higher uh, subsidy amount. It was $50 per month, and this is $30. So that's a change. I'm not sure yet how that'll impact operators. We're still going through earnings now.
0: Okay, so the last chunk of the, uh, again, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act funding comes in the form of just a pool of other more niche funding. So we see um, several billion for a digital equity program, uh, $2 for tribal broadband connectivity, Uh, We see money for rural utilities, telemedicine, middle mile grants. So these are all a little more focused. Do Do you imagine that with these kinds of focused pools of money that broadband deployers are going to want to try to target their deployments into areas, verticals, or markets that can pull from those programs? Or is it more attractive to... Uh, you know, try to deploy sort of at large and pull from the more general funds or sort of a multipolar strategy? What are your thoughts?
1: I would say probably a lot of people are going to be going after the bead money, but I don't think, you know, this is several billion additional in funding. Uh, I I don't think that's anything to sniff at. And I do think, you know, the tribal broadband connectivity program, the digital equity program, um, there are, you know, these are needs. And so there's a reason there's funding behind it. And I think, the the broadband providers who are positioned to serve those niches will go after this funding. I will say the middle mile grant program is pretty interesting. That's something a lot of people don't necessarily think about. Uh, middle mile infrastructure. You know, a lot of times we're talking about the last mile. You know, that that last right. gap edging out to more houses. But it's interesting to see that there's a billion allocated for middle mile. So I'm sure there will be plenty of people interested in that.
0: Are there any timelines for applying to this funding?
1: You know, I'm not quite sure.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: I I know that uh, funding has to be used within a certain time frame. So kind of circling back to Bede, you know, once you get the grants, you have four years to use it. Again, I, I think we're still waiting for some rules from NTIA. Uh, there might be some text in the bill that I missed. But again, we have in the guide links to all of the bills, uh, direct to the text of the bill, as well as to uh, other stories covering it.
0: And so then again, the where and how for applications for this money, uh, you said that has to be state dependent, right? So depending on where you're housed, how do you recommend folks get in touch with the proper channels to secure that funding?
1: So right now, um, it's hard to say, we have a state by state tracker that we've been looking at for one of the other acts for funding from um, the American Rescue Plan Act specifically. And in that state by state tracker, we have links to each of the state's broadband offices. Uh, So that would be the best avenue I can think of. But yeah, I'm sure a lot of these folks, especially smaller broadband providers who are operating within smaller footprints, have contacts at the state level. And I would encourage them to, to kind of reach out to those and be like, hey, where do I need to be looking? Because they're not going to be, you know, working with the FCC necessarily. They're not going to be working with the NTIA necessarily. The money's going to be flowing through the states.
0: And in that article, again, that we're basing this conversation off of, at the bottom is a detailed list of that state-by-state funding. Uh, so, Uh, We're not going to get into that into today's conversation, or we would be here forever getting in, uh, you know, 50 states. That could be an episode all of its own. But depending on where you're housed, listener, uh, make sure that you check out that article and there's a full breakdown um, per state. So good resource there. All right, let's jump to the next pool of funds. This is coming through the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Obviously, more covid specific so i'm curious if there are any uh, harder timelines or dates on the eligibility or uh, you know how long you have to spend this money compared to other funds but uh, this is being parceled out through again, various other funds. We have fiscal recovery funds, we have a capital projects fund, and then an emergency connectivity fund. So Diana, could you walk us through the differentiators there and any of the distinctions between those funds that are important to center as we apply?
1: Sure. The fiscal recovery funds uh, include a total of $350 billion. That is going to state, local, and tribal governments, and that can be spent... On a couple different things, uh, and one of those is broadband infrastructure. I think, you know, water, sewer infrastructure is one of the other categories. Each state kind of got a different amount from that $350 billion. Uh, Again, that's kind of in the state-by-state tracker that we have. And some states, basically because it can be used for several different things, um, the states are deciding on their own how much of that to dedicate to broadband specifically. And that's actually what our state by state tracker has been looking at how much of these fiscal recovery funds are going towards broadband. Um, So, some states like Virginia have already moved, but they are throwing 700 million of that money at broadband specifically. California uh, has also put 3 billion that they got through this act towards broadband as part of a broader uh, 6 billion funding initiative. And uh, some of the slower moving states like Alabama and I think Florida uh, are just now starting to allocate this money. So, this is even though it was passed at the beginning of last year, this money is still only just becoming available. And again, it's going through the states. So, those are the fiscal recovery funds. Also, part of this act is the capital projects fund. That's another $10 billion. And that is to fund, as it kind of implies, you know, uh, capital projects like you know infrastructure deployments for broadband some states are throwing their entire capital projects fund allocation at broadband and some are not so again it's really down to the state level and that's why we've been trying to to track it at the state level to the best of our ability but again you know it has to wind its way through the state legislatures and anybody who is familiar with any kind of legislature knows it takes some time (laughs) so some people are are farther along than others
0: right well because this is again a state-by-state basis for funding and also it's 350 billion per state but also for local and tribal governments and then also that is competing uh or the fund you know has various uses so it's not just for broadband is that defining the utility of this bill at all for sort of guaranteed funding for future deployments? Is this kind of one of the more, you know, uh, vague in utility funds? Or I guess how would you weigh this in the context of the larger spread of funding options?
1: I think this is pretty substantial. Just oh, okay, to be clear, great. it's it's three hundred and fifty billion total, not per state. Right. And ah, right. What is interesting is how much each state has been allocated. That was already announced by the NTIA. We already know how much fiscal recovery funding and capital projects funding is going to each state. We know that. Gotcha. Uh, What we're waiting to figure out uh, in some cases is how much of that individual state allocation the states are deciding to spend uh, on broadband specifically rather than water and sewer infrastructure. I would say that a lot of states are prioritizing broadband. That is, it's a huge talking point. Um, as you know, my conversations with uh, Pew have kind of shown, you know, states are more and more interested in broadband. They know that they need it, not just for economic development, for all, as you mentioned before, all the people working from home, learning from home. It's a priority. So I would say that this, this is a pretty safe bet of funding. It's just a matter of um, getting those funds out there. And to your point on timelines, the state's, in terms of the $350 billion fiscal recovery funds, they have to decide what to do with those funds by the end of 2024, and then they have to actually spend that money by the end of 2026. So there's a firm timeline in place. A lot of folks, uh, as you can see in the state-by-state State guide, have already moved on this. There's only, I think, you know, a relatively smaller portion of states who haven't allocated at least some money to broadband.
0: So then if each state uh, already has guaranteed funding and several states are prioritizing that pool of money for broadband, but, you know, it is still undecided completely if it's going just to broadband or to other infrastructure investments, is this an area where uh, broadband deployers can kind of get in on that decision-making process and um, you know, be communicating with legislators and have a say in, I don't know, at least convincing or making their case for why broadband is worth that investment? Is it that active?
1: You know, I don't really know. Uh, also because each state kind of has their own rules around who gets to uh, allocate budget money. So in some right. states, the governor the governor can kind of unilaterally make that decision. And in other states, it has to go through the legislature. So, you know, it depends. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily say, you know, get involved in the political process. Sure. I, but, you know, I'm, I I do know that some states are still undecided. And so there is room uh, maybe to make the argument that broadband should be a priority.
0: Well, then we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out. Definitely an interesting one, especially with that state-focused funding. And, you know, if there is any room for telecom players to make the case for themselves a little bit, now would probably be the time to find out where those channels are and you know start communicating with local government. Uh, I want to just highlight again here briefly the Capital Projects Fund and the Emergency Connectivity Fund. Anything of note in those under the uh, American Rescue Plan Act?
1: I would say uh, the Emergency Connectivity Fund, kind of like the Affordable Connectivity Program is not necessarily geared toward broadband providers themselves. The Emergency Connectivity Fund is more for schools and libraries to purchase, you know, broadband service, broadband devices. So again, it's not necessarily for broadband deployment, although there is a stipulation that participants can use it to deploy broadband if no service is available. So, you know, a library could stand up their own network if they have to, but that's not necessarily its purpose. So in terms of broadband deployments, I would say that the state fiscal recovery funds as well as the capital projects funds are where the money's gonna be coming from.
0: So we have another chunk of funding here to unpack. This would be the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, and uh, what's curious about this one is that it was actually used to uh, help fund the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, which as we mentioned before, has changed its name to the Affordable Connectivity Program. Uh, so what is there to note here with this act and the, uh, the pools of money? Anything of note? Anything that you think is useful sort of a supplementary pool in the larger ecosystem?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would say that this is probably a smaller pool of money. It was passed in December 2020. Uh, it was about $5 billion total for broadband related issues. And I would say probably uh, the big chunk of that, as you mentioned, was the emergency broadband benefit. Uh, you know, millions of people signed up for that. Um, that was a $50 per month subsidy. And that is now the Affordable Connectivity Program. So the emergency broadband benefit program, it doesn't exist anymore. It's been replaced and so, you know, I think that was the biggest part of this bill, and that was kind of to make sure people could stay connected to work from home, learn from home.
0: So in that smaller pool of funding, there is, you know, compared to $300-plus billion, there is a relatively small pool here under the uh, Connecting Minority Communities pilot program. This was about $285 million in funding, so... You know, that's still substantial, but it's not, you know, we're not talking $350 billion or anything here, right? So how are you seeing that money be put to use and any recommendations on tapping into that smaller fund?
1: So we don't actually know yet. Um, So The Connecting Minority Communities Pilot Program, the window for applications was open in August and it closed at the end of last year or uh, yeah, in December. And so we're waiting to hear about the award winners. Uh, Those are expected to be announced in March. So we will know a lot more about how that program is being put to use, you know, in March. Another fund that was in um, this, this act was the Broadband Infrastructure Program. That was $300 million. That was also administered by the NTIA. And, you know, applications for that are also closed. But uh, the interesting part there for me is that NTIA said the program was massively over, oversubscribed. So as I mentioned, it was only $300 million, but they received applications requesting $2.5 billion. So the takeaway there for me is that there is a lot of demand. And I, I imagine that that will roll over to, you know, ARPA, to to Bede, to, to some of these other programs that we discussed previously.
0: Now, this is one that we teased at the beginning of the conversation as potentially at least just like a, a long-term and uh, larger horizon fund to pull from. But now that we've got a little more context, it actually may be a bit of a dated fund. This would be the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, RDOF. This was launched in 2020 by the FCC, $20.4 billion. $20.4 billion. Give us an update here now that uh, we already went through phase one allocation. I know we have a second phase coming up, but it's not necessarily all that defined. What has been the utility of RDOF and what do you see as the future utility of this fund?
1: Sure. So RDOF was $20.4 billion total. Um, and we had the phase one auction. And phase one only auctioned off a portion of that money. Uh, so the auction awarded a total of $9.2 the winners of that auction were announced in December 2020. And the thing is, is we're still waiting for a lot of that money to be released. So to date, uh, the FCC has only announced, you know, $2.7 billion of that is, you know, ready or authorized to be released, which means the vast majority of it is still being processed. The holdup there, from what I understand from the FCC, is that they are still reading what are called long form applications. Uh, So to participate in the auction, they had to submit short form applications. And then once they won, um, the FCC had to review their longer, more detailed applications to make sure that they can actually apply the funds how they said they're going to. And so that means that some of the bigger winners, so Charter, for instance, some of the other larger companies who participated, they're still waiting for their money. The thing is though, uh, I actually just talked to Charter about this, they are not waiting for that money to start deploying. So in their case in uh, in particular, they are just going ahead and starting these deployments um, as part of a broader uh, expansion program they're doing in rural areas. It, it's really interesting because they actually told me that in terms of their RDOF coverage, they are actually gonna be covering over 100,000 route miles. And so they're having to walk to, you know, each pole and like measure each pole along the way. And um, the executives kind of told me that there are, you know, 20 poles per mile. And so it just kind of gives you a sense of the magnitude of these Ardoff builds is the whole point of that little anecdote, you know. So these are going to be big projects from a lot of the big winners. They're still waiting for the money. Uh, Some of them are already getting started, though.
0: All right, noted. There's definitely still funding to be had there, of course, so we'll keep our ear to the ground on that uh, second auction round. So we have two more pools of money that I want to highlight before we start to wrap up. Uh, the first one is the Broadband Reconnect program. So this is actually through the US Department of Agriculture, which is uh, excuse me, which is unique compared to the other uh, funds that we've been breaking down. And it's one of the older ones. It was established in 2018. Uh, is there still any money here that's worth keeping an eye on or that's yet to be allocated? How should we weigh this money?
1: Yeah, I'm actually weirdly excited about reconnect. <laughs> uh, cool. In October, the USDA kind of breathed new life into it. Uh, they announced plans to uh, kind of hand out $1.15 billion in the program's third funding round. And you know, this is actually happening now, go apply. Uh, The funding window uh, opened in November and it will be open until February 22nd of this year. So time is running out, the clock is ticking. Again, they're gonna be doling out over a billion dollars. The thing to know about ReConnect um, is that there are different types of awards that you can get through this program. So there is a loan where they will give you a 100% loan for the project. There is a 100% grant, and then there is a combination loan grant award. They in this round are also going to be offering 100% grants for tribal governments and vulnerable connect, uh, communities, which is exciting. And then um, in each of the categories, a certain amount of money will be available. So 350 million for the grant categories, 250 million for the combination loan grant, and 200 million for the loans. Again, ongoing. Uh, Application window closes on February 22nd, 2022.
0: And of course you can find uh, information on that third round of funding on uh, the Fierce Telecom article that we've been breaking down. There's a backlink there. And uh, like Diana said, you have until late February to get in on this fund. It's a surprise bundle of cash, but could be put to very good use and is an important one to factor into your larger strategies. All right, one more pool of money, which is kind of the, I guess, the most specific one and the one that we won't really get into that deep, but this is the U.S. broadband funding state by state. This is, again, um, billions in federal funding from ARPA, the American Rescue Plan Act, and it is still being decided how legislators are going to factor out all of this money, but are there any standouts, you know, to avoid covering literally every state in this episode? Anything we should keep in mind as we look to pull that money from grants at the state level?
1: Yeah, so it might uh, be helpful to kind of give a, a brief overview of what the state-by-state guide is. Right, so sure. for each state, we are focused on the American Rescue Plan Act funding specifically. For each state, we have a link to their broadband office. We detail how much money they got in state-level funding as well as how much money they got in capital projects funding. And then for the states where information is available, we also say how it's been allocated. So, for example, in Alabama, uh, they got $2.1 billion in state-level funding plus $191.9 million from the capital projects fund. And we know that they are right about to pass uh, legislation which would allocate uh, nearly $277 million of that uh, for broadband specifically. So once those kind of announcements are made in terms of legislation to allocate that money, that's when everybody who's in the broadband industry knows they can be keeping an eye out on these states for these grant programs to be distributing this money. So that's really exciting And just kind of circling back to the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, we expect that money to kind of start flowing to the states uh, later this year. And so that'll be another one that uh, we'll have to watch on a state-by-state basis. Uh, We'll have to see if I have time to cover all of that. It's it's quite time-consuming, as you might imagine, to try try to keep track of what's going on in all 50 states. But we are certainly trying. um, We know that this is important to a lot of people, so we're putting the work in.
0: Yeah, it's exciting that there is so much money on a state-by-state basis. Hopefully that can be applied in a more focused way for local broadband deployers and even national ones with a presence in each state. And I'm curious to see how that develops. We'll have to do some follow-up episodes, or at the very least, folks, make sure you're tapping into this article with updated information on fiercetelecom.com. All right, Diana, we're basically done with our overview here. Uh, Hopefully our audience learned something useful and can start to factor uh, all these different funds into their larger funding plan. But I'm curious if you have any final advice here. I mean, we went through so many different uh, funds and each one has kind of different priorities and timelines. Uh, Do you have any advice for how uh, different broadband deployers can weigh the options and make an informed decision about what's worth their energy, you know, in terms of application, et cetera?
1: Sure. Um, I would say that the three most active programs right now are the reconnect program that we just discussed with the application window closing in February. Um, and also the, um, American Rescue Plan Act funding, because that's all coming now, uh, as well as the um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, those are the primary pools that people are going to be pursuing over the next year, next two years, three years. Right now, RDOF is kind of settled. So honestly, look to those three funds. Um, and the, the main avenue to pursue this funding is going to be through the states. So make those state level connections um, touch base with the broadband offices uh, if they have them, most do or they have a task force of some sort. Uh, get in contact with the states. For broadband providers um, who maybe cover a smaller area, it'll be easier uh, for some of the larger carriers maybe they want to prioritize. Um, but again, you know the state level is where it's at right now for all of the big big money that's coming in. Um, and we're trying to keep track of it all. So we'll, we're here to help.
0: Fantastic stuff. All right, Diana, I really appreciate you taking the time to break this down and for putting this article together in the first place. I mean, ton of research. I bet you were scouring through uh, granular information for hours to compile this for folks, but it's a valuable resource and I really recommend that uh, you know if you're looking to secure this funding or you're looking to expand your um, network infrastructure over the next few years there are opportunities for you to secure that funding now. So again, head to fiercetelecom.com for that breakdown. It's also linked in the uh, description of the podcast and in the write-up of the article that corresponds to this podcast. Uh, But yeah, as folks maneuver this, I'm sure we'll have some follow-up conversations. But till then, Diana Guvertz, Senior Editor for Fierce Wireless and Fierce Telecom. Thank you again for your time today. It's really been a pleasure.
1: It's been great. Thank you again so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And if folks want to get in touch with you for any further information or they just want to follow along, any um, social medias or emails we can point them to?
1: Sure. Uh, They can follow me on Twitter at at Beat, or they can uh, email me with any tips or uh, recommendations for coverage at dguverts at questex.com.
0: Perfect. Diana, I really appreciate your time, and we'll chat again soon. Great. Looking forward to it. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want previous episodes of our podcast, make sure that you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, amphenolbroadband.com. And make sure that you're subscribing to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll have further updates on broadband funding and other big picture conversations on the future of the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Wavelengths.